Why do some people have lives that are filled with zeal and hope and they just sort of radiate a energy and yet there are other people who sort of muddle through life who are very empty and they don't really ever seem to get in gear and life for them is a drag generally and spiritually it's not much different than the way they live physically. I really do love the inspired words of David in the 42nd Psalm where he says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? David is expressing here a very, very important thought. He knew he needed God. And he knew exactly what represented his need for God in the natural world that he was a, a part of. Here is a deer seeking out a stream. And maybe he's being chased through the woodlands by maybe a predator or a hunter or whatever. And he takes the time to slake his thirst from a cool stream of water. David felt that way about God. He felt that way, that depth of despair without God that a deer would feel if he were running through the forest and about to die of thirst. Are there times in your life when you feel alone? Are there times when you feel empty? Maybe the reason for that emptiness is not your closeness, but your far awayness from God. You're not where God is, at least in your thinking. He's there, but you've not invited him into your particular realm. Some people live their Christian life with purpose, and others sort of drift aimlessly through spiritual life. Some people are passionate about their faith in Christ, and others just don't care. And there's not a sermon you can preach. There's not a word you can say. There's not an encouragement that you can give that seemingly will resurrect the dead when spiritual things are just not important and when they are indifferent about their spiritual life. I suspect this morning there will be some who will leave this building today and they will be filled with zeal, not because of me preaching. Any one of the brethren could have gotten up and opened up the Word of God, and they would have left filled with zeal for what had happened here this morning. And there will be others who will leave today as empty as they came in. They will not have any greater devotion to the things of God than they have had. Why is that the difference? Could it be that many have lost their passion for God? We want to talk about that this morning in this first hour together about how to create the thirst that David describes in that particular passage. Have you ever had the kind of thirst that demands a drink of water absolutely right this moment? Sort of like the story that the brother shared with us a moment ago, which, by the way, I'd never really heard. I've been working outdoors in my yard a lot of times where down in Houston, you know, how heat is there, humidity, and how it can be even here in the Dallas area. You can mow the lawn, you can pull a few weeds, you can trim some shrubs and 
your face will be even redder than mine is right now, just standing up here. And I am so thirsty that sometimes I would drink out of a garden hose and the water's tepid. Maybe it's not even close to being cool or refreshing, but you just need something immediately. Well, the people who lived in Judea in ancient times like David knew what it was like to live without water. They still know what it's like to live without water. And many of us may come to have to learn a little bit more about that as time goes along in many of our metro areas for sure. Water is a very, very precious resource. They knew what it's like when something so necessary is scarce and it's not readily available. The hills of the Judean mountainside would contain cisterns of water that would collect the rain and they would depend on those cisterns to provide them this moisture during dry seasons. And like water is to our physical existence, a relationship with God and the Lord Jesus is absolutely essential to your spiritual growth and development. When was the last time you were thirsty for God? When was the last time that there was such a longing in your soul for something that only God could fill, something that only His Word would be able to reach? When was the last time that you actually longed to be able to have a few private moments to pray? You're pressed all day long with this problem or that problem, going from one meeting to another, from one task to another, and you realize, I haven't prayed all day. Oh, if I could just get five minutes alone so that I could do that. Or have you ever longed to be able to go to a worship assembly like we're having this morning or like what we have planned this week? Have you ever really been hungry and thirsty for a sermon? Oh, I need a good lesson from Ricky. I need Jordan's words this morning. Some take for granted that God is always going to be there, that He always cares, that He always makes Himself available just whenever we need Him. Now, most of us have room in our hearts for God when we're hurting. Most of us have room in our hearts for God when we feel that we need Him, when there is some problem which has arisen. But that's a part-time relationship with God, you see. That's not going to do us very much good in the long run. We want what God can do for us when we feel that it will benefit us immediately. And yet Jesus says that what we have to learn to do in serving Him is to take up our crosses daily and follow Him. It's not something we just do on a schedule. It's not something that just happens intermittently. Part-time Christians don't really want to be close unless they want something from God. They have a very shallow relationship. Would you want to have a friend or a marriage partner who only wanted what they wanted and only wanted you if they wanted what they wanted but didn't care about your presence or care about being with you at any other time? We should be able to understand that this is what our God, our Creator, has wanted of us as well. And it's very important that we recognize that. You know, Jesus in Matthew, the fourth chapter and verse four, spoke in quoting the Deuteronomy passage in chapter eight, 
and said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds or comes from the mouth of God. Did you eat breakfast this morning? If you didn't, are you planning on having a pretty good-sized lunch? Do you anticipate that there'll be even another meal later in the day and a snack or two if you can get it? You realize the necessity of food for the body, but do we realize the necessity of hydration and nutrition for the soul? Many people cheat themselves out of real life by focusing on everything else that life offers us except God. Oh, we listen to all the news programs. All the talk shows, we go to the latest movies, we know about all of the soaps, you know, that are a few still on television, and we read our magazines, and we post to our blogs, and we keep up with Facebook, and we have time for all of these pursuits. We might even know the batting average of every particular baseball player on four or five teams, but we don't know anything about the Word of God. Or we don't take time for the Bible and, and, and be able to teach it to anyone else or to explain just a common question that might be asked. No wonder our lives are sometimes filled with doubt. No wonder we misunderstand so much of what God has for us because we've pushed away the food. We've pushed away what God has given to give us the strength that we have to have as being Christians. The Bible's not an ordinary book, folks. The Bible is an absolutely essential tool for a person claiming to want God in his life. It's God's way of teaching you. It's God's way of training you in how you ought to live your life. And the Bible does give us hope. And the Bible does offer promises to us. And it tells us how to love and it tells us how to forgive, and it tells us how to be forgiven, and it tells us how to react to suffering, and it tells us how to grow on the inside, and it tells us how to discipline ourselves, and how to live without hurting other people, how to make the most of this precious thing called life, of which we only have so much. The Bible gives us hope, the Bible gives us promise, it gives us joy, it brings peace, it will lift us up, it will comfort us, it will correct us and discipline us, it will train us, it will make us new people. The Word of God is what gives us new life. It's what caused us to be born again. Listen to what Peter has to say in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, you purified your souls by what? Your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. How were we brought into Christ? It was through the Word. We would not have known Jesus had it not been for the Word. We wouldn't know about His Life. We wouldn't know about his death. We wouldn't know about his atonement. There'd be no knowledge for you and me about the spiritual effect that Jesus 
had on this world if it were not for this living and abiding Word of God. It remains forever. You can read a lot of different books, but none of them will cause you to be born again. You can read a lot of different blogs. You can search the internet for all sorts of information nowadays, but not a bit of it is going to have the ability to forgive your past or to give you the promise and hope of living forevermore. The more you read the Bible, the more you'll know, the closer you'll be to God. The more you read the Bible, the more you'll have the abundant life that is in Christ Jesus. So you need to start paying attention to the Word of God if you're not doing that. Our passion and our feelings for God die if we remove ourselves from the Word. If the Word is not a part of our daily life, if it's just cake for special occasions, but not bread for daily consumption, we'll end up without any spirituality at all. The Bible tells us in the second chapter of Hebrews in verse 1 that we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. Now what he's speaking of when he says pay attention to what you've heard is the Bible. He's talking about gospel preaching and teaching. He's talking about spiritual instruction. Pay close attention to what you've heard. That's past tense. You see, the problem is as we matriculate through our lives is that those things that we once knew we take for granted that we still know. And sometimes we drift away from those things that we first heard that first brought us to God. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape, he says, if we neglect so great a salvation? You can just sort of slowly stop reading the Word of God. You can slowly stop praying every day. You can slowly stop worshiping with a group of other Christians, and before very long you've drifted away from something precious, from something you needed for your life. Desperate situations sometimes wake people up and lead them back to God, and we've all seen that. And frankly, some people have told me when they've had disasters befall them that awakened them to how far away they had drifted from God, I've had people tell me that's the best thing that ever happened to me. That car wreck, that cancer diagnosis, that heart attack, that death in my family that made me wake up. It was tragic, but it brought me to my senses and it made me realize that I had drifted away. I think President Lincoln is the one attributed with having said that I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Have you ever been in that situation? Where there was no other person to whom you could turn or would turn except God? It's reassuring to remember that God can do things that men cannot do. There is really, as we will discuss this week, only one true and living God who can hear your prayers who has the power and the ability to give you from those prayers what you need. And that's the God of Scripture, folks. 
That's the God whom we believe and serve and preach. And I know that it's not politically correct to say things like that. I'm aware that political correctness is the order of the day, but that's not the measure of truth. What society or what culture thinks is good or thinks is bad. Political correctness is often the world's way of saying, God, you be quiet. You sit over there in the corner. We'll call on you if we want to know anything that you have to say, but otherwise, be quiet. We don't need to silence God. We need to be quiet. And we need to ask Him to do the speaking. Say something that we need. And God says, I have. And I've been saying it. And I've been saying it. And I've been saying it. But the people don't want it. You know, when we get a little discouraged sometimes when we teach and preach and do all that we do and it just seems like we're spinning our wheels and nobody is concerned and nobody cares and nobody's responding. God was there before we were. God had that experience from the very beginning. His track record with humanity has been a track record of offering things to people that they didn't want, like trying to sell ice to an Alaskan, I suppose. I mean, what would you do if all you'd ever done is hold forth what you know people need, what you know they've got to have, and they just pass it by as if there's nothing to it? then you're beginning to understand exactly how God has felt through the ages. We draw close to God when we make Him a priority in our lives every single day. Every day! We need to make time for our God. Spend time in studying the Word. Not just reading the Word, though that's a good start and very important. But we need to do some study of the Word and see how things go together and Learn some things about subjects that the Bible addresses. And, and don't forget just to pour out your heart to God every day in prayer. Meditate on what you're reading. Learn from it. Practice it. In the first, first Psalm, rather, verses 1 through 3, David said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seed of scoffers. Who is the blessed man? The man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Who is the blessed man? The man who has meditated on the law of the Lord day and night. You know, there's a lot of stuff on our minds nowadays. We don't live in an information-less age. We live in an information overload age. But most of the things that we're overloading our minds with are not pertaining to the law of the Lord. And the blessing only comes to the man who's not the smartest guy in the room about all of the various things that we could accumulate knowledge about unless he's someone who knows what needs to be known about the law of the Lord. That's where God blesses us. That's the blessed man. He's the one like a tree planted by those streams of water. On my way up yesterday from Houston to Dallas, I observed all along Interstate 45 a lot of dead trees that I am assuming 
is a result of drought that we've experienced through the summer. I hope it's not disease. I hope all that the problem is is just drought. But if a tree likes water and it isn't planted where it can get to that water, it's going to die. And we need to understand that that's the way things are with the man who is a servant of God. If he's planted by streams of water, it will yield its fruit in its season. Its leaf will not wither. And everything he does, he will prosper. Because what does he do with God? He puts God front and center in every choice and question and decision that he makes. God is wanting to feed your spirit with his word and give you the very insights that you need to prosper in every area of your life. But it's not just the Word of God. I want to spend just a few moments here describing to you the value of praying and thinking with you about how this will play a role in not only creating a thirst for God, but slaking our thirst for understanding when troubles come and when difficulties arise. You're very familiar with that three-word phrase in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, aren't you, where... Paul wrote and said, pray without ceasing. Now, a lot of discussion comes up when you're in a Bible class, for example, and you read that passage and somebody says, well, what does that mean? And, and of course, we do understand that he's not saying there that you're to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because nobody could do that, right? The Bible's not a ridiculous book making ridiculous assertions about things people ought to do. No one could do any one particular thing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and live unless we're talking about breathing. I mean, you really need to do that. Don't stop breathing. You'll stay alive. If you stop breathing, you die. But nobody could do one particular thing and do it consistently, continually. Instead, what God is telling us here is quit quitting on prayer. Don't get to a season or a place in your life where you say, I don't want to pray anymore, or I don't believe prayer does any good, or I don't see the value in all of this. Some people stop praying altogether. And some people that stop praying altogether are our brothers and sisters in Christ, folks. I think we might be surprised if we could know, and maybe we don't really want to know, and how much praying doesn't go on. There's a lot of prayer that is offered, yes. But there are a lot of us sometimes who've just quit altogether because either we feel that we don't know how or we must not be doing this exactly right or we've never seen any result from it or we don't receive any encouragement through it and so we just let it go. Some, some people, I, I think, feel that their prayer would bother God. You know, that they would just keep going to God and keep praying to God and God would just get irritated that somebody continues to be talking to him. Maybe you have someone in your household or maybe someone at work and all they do is talk to you all the time and you're just so glad when they quieten down because you just don't want to hear somebody talking to you repeatedly. And yet, let me tell you, if you take your Bible in a good concordance even, and you just look up pray and prayer and praying and just camp in the New Testament. You don't even have to look at the old. You're going to find God continually inviting people 
to pray, to ask, to seek, to knock. And he continually says he's ready to answer, he's ready to give, he's ready to help us find what we are seeking. And so don't ever begin to think that God is bothered by your prayers. Prayer was his idea, folks. This wasn't made up by people. In fact, if people were the ones to have to decide, how would I best get something from God? Probably none of us would have ever come up with the idea of prayer. Let's rid ourselves of the notion that God's too busy for us. Let's rid ourselves of the notion that we're getting on God's nerves. God loves you. God wants to hear what his children have to say. He wants to hear what's in your heart. Somebody says, yes, but if he's the God that you claim he is, he already knows what's in my heart. He wants to hear you say what's in your heart. I know my wife loves me, but it sure is nice when she tells me. And I think she would say the same thing about me. And those of us who have children, and especially adult children, isn't it wonderful when you get a call or a note or a text or a whatever kind of communication? Uh, a pigeon with a little note in his mouth would be nice. Just to get some kind of note every once in a while that says, Mom, Dad, I love you. Even though you know they do, hearing it makes a difference to you, doesn't it? And it's very, very helpful. If you want to be closer to God, let me give you just this simple exercise for today and then you try it every day and that is count your blessings just spend time counting your blessings now I know that it's going to be easier to list your troubles than ask you to list your troubles but if this is a training exercise we need to just start by taking each day and beginning that day by first of all thanking God we woke up and if we woke up this morning, then it's going to be a good day. We've got a day that the Lord has given us. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, the psalmist says. And so what we would then begin to do is remember the good blessings that God's given us. Remember, first of all, if you're a Christian, that God saved you from sin. That God delivered you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Remember the cross. Remember the love that Jesus showed by suffering for you and me. Remember how God has answered prayers that you have uttered in the past. Remember how the scriptures have been a source of hope and comfort to you on so many occasions. Remember the strength God gave you to deal with a challenge in your life. God has been blessing you through the years, sometimes in ways you've seen, and sometimes in ways you haven't seen. Don't ever forget that God may very well be blessing you in ways you can't even see. We sang about that, I think, this morning. Just look how God has helped you and is helping you now. Counting your blessings is healthy for your spirit. It's healthy for your attitude. What did the Philippian letter say? He said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Dwell on them. Focus on them. 
Let me tell you what focusing on negativity will do. It will always take your eyes off God. When I think things are falling apart, when I think the church is about to go to the dogs, when I think everything around me is just calling out that the world just needs to end today because it's the worst place in the world that we could ever be, I need to remember that God is in control, that God knows what's going on, that God knows whether or not the day is redeemable. And if God comes to the point where the world should no longer spin on its axis, then that's when the world will come to an end. I don't have to make that choice. I don't have to make that decision. I didn't create it. I'm not going to end it. I just live in it. And I shine as a light, as he's asked me to do. But focusing on the negative will always take your eyes off God. But focusing on what God did for you, what he does for you, what he's going to do for you. Well, that puts your eyes on the Lord. And that'll help you to stay close to God and help you to be thankful to God. And every day we need to stop and say to God, thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you've done or doing and are going to do for me even in the future. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 1. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what a wonderful way to begin a prayer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I think we ought to memorize that. I think that ought to be something that's emblazoned on our minds to remember that every day, to take away the gloom, to take away the darkness, to take away the aggravations when we stop and realize what God did for us in Jesus. This is why we thirst for him. We can't do without him. Take all that stuff away from what's in 1 Peter chapter 1. What would we have in life? Absolutely nothing. But we're not in that shape. What shape are we in? What condition do we have before God? He's telling us there, we were born to a living hope. Do you know how many few people in the world have been born again to a living hope this morning? Do you know that the vast majority of people who have ever lived in this world and who are presently alive in this world do not have the living hope you have? They don't know the power of the resurrection of Christ. They're not aware of what God's plans and purposes are for them. Is it because there's no revelation of that to them? No. God's will has been revealed for somewhat over 2,000 years now. It's available to most people in most places if they can read the Word of God at all. And people are preached to in our country and other countries and they gather together and they study and and, and somehow or the other, some miss what this is all about and what blessings we have in Christ. But we have a true and living hope in the true and living God. And we have all the blessings of God in this life and heaven too. You see that in that passage? We began to live like that and it'll change our outlook. 
but it's all because we have a thirst. We want God more than we want our troubles. We're more willing, we're more willing to put up with trouble when we realize what God did for us. We would have really been in trouble if it weren't for what God has done for us in His Son Jesus, right? And what God has planned for us when this world is on fire and is gone. So my question this morning would be, what's keeping you away from God? Why are you trying to slake this thirst you have with just regular old water? Why is it that you're looking for something that no matter where you turn, every time you turn to it, it leaves you just as thirsty as you were when you came and maybe a little more thirsty? If there's anything that's keeping you away from God, you need to get rid of that. Is there anything in your life robbing you of your energy spiritually? Robbing you of your time so that you don't have time for God? You've only got so much time and you don't know how much time you have. Keep that in mind. You know, generically, we all have only so much time, but we don't know how much that is. I keep watching a clock back here. I know how much time I've got. But if that were my life's clock, none of us know that. None of us are aware of how many days we have left, how many hours we have left. But we need to be giving what hours we do have to the service of God. Some people day after day after day, shut God out of their lives. But the Hebrews writer says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. You know, there's a lot of stuff between us and glory right now, isn't there? And sometimes we're overwhelmed by the things that are between us and glory. Jesus had a big impediment in His way between His glorification and His earthly ministry, and it was the cross. How in the world did Jesus get past the cross? Well, he thought about the glory. He thought about what was going to come later. And as a result of that, because of the joy that he was anticipating, he endured the cross. He despised the shame of the cross, of course. But now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So many things in life can tangle us up. Some things are not even sinful in and of themselves but they so distract and rob us of our time that we lose sight of the Lord who loves us. It's not the Lord's fault. The Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is His ear so dull that it cannot hear. But our iniquities get in the way, do they not? They make a separation between us and our God, and our sins sometimes hide His face from us so that God is not very close to us. So when there's a problem in this relationship with God, who's caused that problem? Well, it's not our God. It's our response to God. And we need to recognize that if we want to draw close to God, that sin's going to have to be dealt with in our lives. And we need to do that. 
A few years ago, I saw a newspaper story about a middle school out in Oregon, I think, somewhere in the Northwest, as I recall. They had a rather unique problem in that school. There were a number of the girls that began to start using lipstick at that age, you know. And they would go to the restroom at school and they would put the lipstick on, of course, in front of a mirror, and then they would press their lips against the mirror. That just sort of became a fad in that particular school. And they would leave just dozens of little old lip prints all over the mirrors in those restrooms. And that went on for several days. And finally, the principal and the custodian decided that they've got to do something about this problem. So they called all of the girls to the restroom And the custodian was present as well. And the principal explained to the girls that this was a fad that needed to cease because there is a major problem if you are the custodian and every day you're having to clean mirrors that have been tainted by little girls putting this new little lipstick on the mirror and having to clean that off. And to demonstrate how difficult that was, she asked the custodian to clean one of those mirrors. And so he took out this long-handled toilet brush, dipped it into the commode, and cleaned (laughs) off the mirrors. And guess what? The problem was eliminated. No (laughs) No more lipstick smeared mirrors in that Oregon middle school. That is funny, isn't it? I can just see that. In fact, I had two girls that would have been right in line doing that. If I know them well enough, I think I could say they would have. You see, the problem is we've got to clean up our mirror, and we've got to realize how nasty it really is. And until we realize how nasty it really is, we're really not going to be too bothered by it. If somebody else is taking care of that little problem and we don't realize how it's been cleaned up and we don't realize what all has gone on, we will just keep on doing what we've all done. If we could see the filth that's in sin, we would not be so attracted to the sin that God hates. He calls it in this passage, iniquity. A word we do not use very often. I bet you didn't use it all week. Unless you read it in the scriptures. You probably didn't use that word. Iniquity twists and ruins lives. And God wants something better for you and for me than what sin provides. Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10 that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus is the water of life, he said. He wants us to be thirsty, and He wants us to drink deeply from His fountain. And only by doing that will we begin to be able to do what I'm going to be talking to you about for the rest of this week. And that is developing a profound, deeply seated reverence for God that affects everything we do in our lives. And I surely hope that the time will be well spent in pursuing that thought. Thank you so much for your kind attention. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. 
you can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.